Welcome back to another episode of the Leading Saints podcast. If you've enjoyed content on this podcast, it's important that I tell you about the Leading Saints newsletter that we send out every week. This newsletter keeps you up to date on all the current Leading Saints content releases, including podcasts, articles, online events, and even live events that might be happening in your own area. In this newsletter, we also recommend some past episodes and written articles that you don't want to miss. Each week, we include additional leadership perspectives and thoughts that you can only find in the weekly newsletter, so you definitely don't want to miss out. To subscribe to the weekly newsletter, simply text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe so you don't miss any future Leading Saints content. Welcome back to the Leading Saints podcast. Uh, My name is Kurt Frankham. I will be your host, and I'm glad that you found us, especially you newbies out there. Maybe somebody sent you this link or you've just listened to a few episodes and you're thinking, what is this all about? Well, let me tell you. Leading Saints is a nonprofit 501c3 organization with a mission to help Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through various methods of the podcast, where we have fantastic conversations like you're about to hear. We also have a newsletter that goes out every week that you got to make sure you're on that list. And uh, the, w- the website, we have virtual summits. We have just all sorts of content online where you can jump in and discover principles related to leadership. So. It's awesome, and we're glad you found us. Now, you guys, this episode, I have Gary Miller on the podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with Gary Miller, but you're about to be, and you're going to love him. He is the host of the Narrow Gate Podcast, and I love the description that he put for his podcast, which is, the Narrow Gate Podcast is what happens when a hellfire-preaching independent fundamental Baptist discovers the Book of Mormon and becomes a Latter-day Saint. So yeah, Gary Miller is a former Baptist preacher who stumbled across the Book of Mormon and it captivated him all the way to the point where he was baptized and became a Latter-day Saint. He tells his story in detail on this uh, interview, but then we have just a rich conversation. It's a, it's a raw, it's a real conversation, and uh, that's where Gary comes alive. I think you'll, you'll realize that pretty quick here. And I just this is how I wanted to approach the interview, and I hope you find value in it. But I see Gary as someone who obviously has leadership experience in a, former, in a, in a different church, He's preached, he's run an organization, a church organization, and I'm just curious, like, what does a guy like that see when he walks into our church community, right? What does he like? What things have confused him? You know, what suggestions would he have? And now, some of you may listen to this and be like, ah, Gary just doesn't have much time in the church, he just doesn't understand, but I think this is a good uh, example of how we can be more self-aware. Like, I always talk about self-awareness is one of the strongest leadership principles an individual can have, where you just step back and hear someone else's perspective. Even if you disagree with it, you begin to learn some things that maybe you weren't aware of. You become more self-aware and you can be, you can approach your leadership or your your life in a more productive state of mind, a more productive mindset. Okay. And so that's what I want to do with Gary. We had a great conversation of just saying, what do you see? What's been weird? Anything we could improve or, you know, what's been your experience? And the conversation that follows is is phenomenal. You're going to love it. Let's get into it. Enough of me summarizing what you're about to hear. Here is my interview with Gary Miller, the host of the Narrowgate podcast. 
Today, I have the opportunity to sit down with Gary Miller. How are you, Gary? I'm doing great. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, you are a fellow podcaster. Is that right? I am. We are brothers in the podcast arms. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. It, right? it is not. The moment you step behind a mic and decide to start saying something, yeah, it's not, it's not for the faint of heart, for sure. Nice. Well, I've actually, you know, leading up to this interview, several people reached out to me and said, hey, have you heard of this Gary Miller guy? He's got a podcast. You should probably interview him because he's got a unique story. So for this Latter-day Saint audience, how would you introduce your story? And maybe talk, talk to us about it. Yeah. So, well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. I'm a fan. Yeah. And so it's always good. I think what's interesting about the digital world and podcasting when you, you're a listener and you're also a content creator. And then when those worlds merge and you get to meet the people you listen to, it's kind of cool. So. But anyway, yeah, my my story is kind of an interesting one. I came to the church from definitely a, a sort of non-traditional pathway. I was a preacher, pastor of an independent fundamental Baptist church, and um, I started that church in San Antonio with 15 folding chairs that we ordered off of eBay in a living room. And wow. it went from the living room to a hotel meeting room when we needed more space and then it kind of moved from that generic one to the bigger Holiday Inn meeting room. And then it just kind of grew from there, right? And so when I, so on paper, I'm not supposed to be here. I say this all the time on my show. Like I'm the last guy on the card that should have been like a member of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And so, but you know, God's plans are so much better than ours, right? So, and I was, this was about two years ago now. It's amazing. My wife and I were trying to figure out the timeline to get it a little tighter, but I work in sales and marketing in my regular life. And at the time, pre-corona, I was making sales right. calls. And in Houston, Kurt, there's no nice way to drive across Houston because it's like, it takes you forever. You want to test your grace driving Houston traffic, right? You, <laughs> you need a reason to repent, go drive, you'll get one. So I- nice. I would go on these long sales drives and so I'd listen to podcasts, right? Like you and I, we do. Podcasters yeah. tend to be big podcast consumers, right? So I was listening to stuff and for whatever reason, and I would say, of course, it's providential, but for whatever reason, iTunes in the podcast store, they'll give you recommended things based on what you've listened to before. Well, yeah. for whatever reason, one of the recommends, Kurt, was the Book of Mormon on audio. Somebody had uploaded it into the iTunes store. Now, I'm not talking about using the regular church app. This was just the audio. So was it like some random guy's voice reading it or was it a church hired person? I don't know if it was, I mean, it was properly produced, but yeah. I don't know so that it, it was church good, yeah. section or not. It sounded great. So mm -hmm. I decide I'm coming out of a Kroger because I, I needed to get like a snack for the road because you don't go into sales calls hangry. You know, that's a bad move. So I, <laughs> right. I get my snack and I'm, I decide, and I, I don't know. And again, I thought like maybe lightning was going to strike me or something for me even listening, but I hit play. And so I'm driving down the road for the first time listening to, stuff about witnesses, plates, Nephi, Zarahemla. I'm going, what in the world is yeah. happening? But I just kept listening. And so let me, it, let me interject yeah. and ask like at this yeah. point, like what was the book of Mormon in your mind? Like, cause a lot of times I hear people saying, Oh, I just knew it was this evil book. Like I didn't, you know, some people say I didn't want to get close to it because right. it was evil. Like yeah. from your Baptist, you know, background, what was that book to you at that time? That's a great question. Um, so I obviously knew about the church in the sense that a good portion of the, I mean, if you get any good independent fundamental Baptist in a, in a room and you list certain names, if you said Latter-day Saint, I'd get them hot quick. I mean, and yeah, it's not, right. 
it's not benign hot. It's red hot. I mean, it would, you know, that's, that's, you know, so I knew it from that perspective, hearing some of my fellow preachers, if they decided to preach on that ever. But I, I came in surprisingly neutral. For my background, Kurt, I probably was more neutral than to be expected. But I've always been kind of an enigma in that regard. I'm a real hard preacher. I'm a scripturalist. Like I'm, I'm letter of, of the law in that way. But I also tend to, I sat under a lot of great teachers from outside of my own faith background when I was coming up in seminary and everything else. So it provided me a different degree of width in my scope when I would, you know, how open I was to something, at least to hear it out. You know, I, I go back to th- those classic sort of admonitions in scripture, search the scripture daily, find out if these things are so. I wanted to find out if it was, you know, when the Proverbs tell us that if we answer a matter before we've heard the whole thing out, it's a folly and a shame unto us. So I don't want mm-hmm. it to be a folly and a shame unto me. I want to say, okay, I want to hear the thing out. And so to me, it was this text that was clearly important to a group of people that I didn't understand other than what I had heard. And I knew that, listen, even as a good fundy preacher myself, I know we can be a little heavy handed at times. So I thought, let me hear it from the source. And for whatever reason, awesome. yeah, that's how it started. Nice. Yeah. And so was it a, a moment where you're listening to this, where you're pricked by the spirit or you're, were you just sort of intrigued by the book enough to keep listening? I was intrigued. I, I, you know, you and I have talked a little bit. I, I didn't, you know, when I was driving around listening to the audio, I did not pass any burning bushes. The skies did not part. You know, it was none of that. I mean, it was, I found it very interesting. And then from that, because I'm a, you know, I'm a highlighter, marker, studier guy. I mean, I've been studying, teaching the Bible for, you know, at this point, when I first started listening to it, well over a decade and in ministry. And so I, I went on eBay and ordered a copy. I needed a big copy that would flop. So I wanted like a big leather bound, something I could open up and really tear into. <laughs> so I so you, didn't out, to, you didn't go to, what is it, the mormon.org or whatever? And no, I didn't go into coming to Christ copy. or any of that yet. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, coming to Christ. I, I, wanted, a, I wanted a proper one. I'm like, look, if I'm going to pay attention to it, and, and I'm a big fan of this and, and pe- when I teach this about studying scripture in general, but I wanted something that I could touch and feel and really you know, interact with. So I get this wonderful copy. Whoever the saint was that had it before me, they had written these great notes in it. And oh wow, so it was, their yeah, it was their personal, yeah, was their personal book, yeah. yeah. Had their wow. name embossed on the front and everything. And so <laughs> I, I don't know what happened to them. I need to go preach to them, right? But I, I got, yeah. <laughs> I got this, uh, I got this thing, and I started from the top and read all the way through, went back, started over, and I just kept going through it over and over and over and over again, and. At this point, my wife, who's the preacher's wife, I mean, she, you know, she's always in the front row when I'm shouting. Yeah. So at you this time, I mean, you're on Sundays, you're going to church and preaching yeah, and, yeah, and you're, yeah. you're a Baptist preacher, right? Right. <laughs> and so I'm, you can't kind of, I mean, it wasn't like a random book that I was studying, like a commentary or something. It's kind of hard to ignore that it says Book of Mormon on the outside. <laughs> and so, but we started having those conversations and it was through that and through just, reading it. And then then I started reading it around my kids. So I said, oh, this is really interesting. Let me tell you something here. And I would start reading it. My very energetic, my youngest daughter, Miriam, if anything can slow her down, you got to pay attention to that. So I'd be reading it and she would come over and she would sit next to me and she'd lean her head right against my chest and just sit there and listen to me read it. And I thought, what in the world is going on? And then I had, from that point, another podcast had come up. Sherry Dew had interviewed a bunch of leaders in the church. Oh, yeah. And the first exposure to a church leader I hear is Elder Bednar, good place to start. And so I hear him talking while I'm driving around. And I remember calling my wife. I'll never forget it. 
And I said, I'm on the road sitting in traffic in Houston. And I said, darling, I'm listening to this guy. I know I've been reading the Book of Mormon. I know it's weird. Don't get freaked out. But I'm listening to him. And I'm telling you, there is something going on over here. And, I, and my, my phrase to her, I always used to say, there's something in the water over here. I'm like, there's something in the water they're drinking. I don't know what's going on, but there's something. We're talking about the same things, but there's something different behind it. And I just kept, you know, our, our church, while I think some people would think outwardly is a bit stiff, I think we're very technology forward. Our apps are great. The hmm. audio visual's great. I mean, and so I was pouring through that stuff, listening to those things. And then I finally, Kurt, that's when I finally did go on to come unto Christ. And I talked to, to missionaries online in a chat because I wasn't going to talk to anybody in person yet. I couldn't. Like, I'd get like, well, how am I supposed to do that? Right. Yeah. But I did it online. We had those first conversations. They were so sweet. I mean, you know, I can't imagine what it was like, you know, two sister missionaries are, you know, handling chat threads. And I started it off by saying, look, I'm an independent fundamental Baptist but I have some questions and I promise I'm going to be nice. Like I'm not here to start a fight. And they were so sweet. And, and they ultimately, you know, they were the ones that got us into our first church meeting, like in person. And they were, they were two super quiet, like the complete opposite of me, Kurt. I'm 10 pots of coffee amped up. Right. And I know for those of you that don't drink coffee, don't get nervous. I don't drink coffee. But the point is, <laughs> the thing is that they were so the opposite. I mean, they were like, you would just talk to them and like your blood pressure drops. They were so chill. Everything got out. Yeah. I'm asking them. These aren't lightweight questions I'm asking. them, And they're just working through it, working through it. But boy, I tell you, when it was time for them, you know, the Bible says compel them to come. I remember that little sister missionary. She said to me, well, you know what? Church there at the ward is happening at you know, this time. You're going to be there, right? I'm like, <laughs> all right. You soul winning like a Baptist. I like this. So, And then I showed up at my first meeting and you know, everything kind of happened from there. Wow. Wow. And that, so, so I'm just, I'm just going back to th that experience with the Book of Mormon because, you know, being someone who was born and raised in the, the church, I mean, maybe your experience is like this with the Bible. I can't, I don't have a moment where I've like saw it as new scripture. You know, it started out with like, oh, my parents want me to read this. My dad's reading it. Right. So it's such an intriguing perspective to have to discover additional scripture and then have the opportunity to pour over it in it with the adult intellect and and the same desire for truth that, that you had. So I bet that was just a remarkable experience. It was, and it is every day that I read it. I mean, you and I talked before. I mean, if, you, if somebody walked in here and said, you can't read it every day, I would twitch. And, and I, think, I think a lot of folks, to your point, and it was the same way where I came from. If people have had this kind of in their lap or on their shelf all their lives, you know, familiarity breeds either apathy or and sometimes even breeds contempt, right? And, and I think yeah. people forget what they're holding on to. And so I always have said that, between the Book of Mormon and the Bible, what I'm really looking at is now I'm seeing the gospel sort of in 4K. It's like in high def now. You know, before you're kind of, you've got it all. It's all there. I mean, the 66 book of, books of a King James Bible, I'm ready to go. Love it. You can get saved from it. You're good. But the point is now I've got this other piece and it's like somebody literally like putting the whole thing in like 4K, 3D, high def, whatever you want to call it. And now you're seeing this in a whole new way. And so as someone from the outside who's now read it more times than I can tell you, because it's just a part of our daily study here and part of what I do for my show, but it really is something that, yeah, for me, it was both exciting every time I do it and still now. I mean, you know, every time it's hard for me to go through it still and not mark something up, not highlight something up. And just because there's so much there, it's just such an impressive book. So you're, you're going through this, you're talking with the, the sweet sister missionaries. What's happening from the Baptist minister perspective. I mean, at some point, 
you realize you're in deep and you can't just pretend you're not. I mean, it's almost like this double life to some extent, right? Oh, oh, absolutely. It was cloak and dagger for a while. I felt like I was like born identity spy or something, right? And and I, <laughs> there were moments, there were moments to be completely frank. I would try to put the, I'm looking across the way here outside of my home office. And I can see where I used to put it. I would try to take it and put it on the top, the Book of Mormon on top of the top shelf of my bookshelf and say, okay, like I'd come to my senses for a minute or so I thought. And so I'd be like, but Gary, stop. Okay, enough. We're putting it up on the shelf. And I'd make some grand declaration to my wife. I'd be like, oh, yeah, all right, that was fine. We were just, you know, but we're, we're good. Yeah, and just a phase. Yeah, <laughs> just a phase, just pass, right? Exactly. <laughs> and so about uh, 60 minutes to a couple hours and the Holy Ghost just wear me out. I mean, and that. And I'm just like, nope, got pull it back down. All right, everybody sit around the table. We're gonna read we're gonna read some more. And I I just I couldn't put it away. But yeah, there there it was very strange because I was already mm-hmm. feeling some some heat because I'd messed around and slipped up, right? Like I I would see some great talk that I'd watched, you know, from something online and I would share it on my social media. And then, you know, I remember getting my first DM from somebody that I had actually trained in the ministry, and they were like, that was a that was a Latter-day Saint site you just shared. I'm like, yeah, the message was great. Did you listen to the message? Uh-huh. I just saw that it was LDS.com or whatever. I'm like, dude, listen to the message. But yeah, it was, it was hard. You did feel divided. Forget about what everybody else was thinking. I mean, personally, I'm going, I've invested all this time, energy, study, started with the 15 folding chairs, and now I'm playing in something that means I'm going to have to change that dramatically. And that's weird because that was yeah. inherently part of my identity because I'd been in it for so many years. Yeah. So help me understand, and I don't fully understand how this works. Uh, I'm a bit naive here, but mm. with being a Baptist preacher, like is that is that an income source because you're doing sales and marketing as well, or yeah. or is it just a volunteer thing like it is for us, or how did that work? No, I I was always a bivocational pastor, which is quite common in the independent fundamental Baptist world. So. I had a day job the whole time I was preaching. Did, did at times once the church was able to, did they support to a certain degree as they could? Sure. But I mean, I wasn't like, I wasn't paying my mortgage on it, oh, okay. but it was, it was clearly something that, that would, that had a supportive element to it. But we were, so in that regard, I've, I've tried to explain this to folks that, you know, it's not all that different. You know, we started and we're still working the job the whole time. We just happened. I just happened to prep sermons at night and then go, you know. Stand up gotcha. there and thump on Wednesdays and Sundays. Yeah. Yeah. So this wasn't a question of like, if we make a change here, I'm going to lose my, my income source. But no, it wasn't, th- it wasn't income. I mean, there certainly was some of that there, but this was more about good night. I mean, this, this is like a major change of jerseys here. So yeah, there's <laughs> to say the cu- least. culturally, there was going to be a lot more because this is not a move that happens. Like, I mean, Southern Baptists are much more vanilla, regular, ba- much more vanilla, independent fundamental Baptist making this kind of jump just like, I mean, and of course, as soon as I did and it was clear, I mean, it was, you could count half a drum beat and it was heretic, blasphemy, going to hell, the whole nine yards. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, it was all coming. Yeah, so, so was there a moment where you, your coming out moment where, you know, you let everybody know that this was happening? I did not have a definitive stand up and, you know, Put a Book of Mormon on the you know podium and say this is where we're going. It was really it was kind of organic. It kind of happened over time, and I think people understood. And I kind of phased myself out of what mm. I was doing, and and because I thought that was the right thing to do. I mean, this yeah. this was my yeah. journey. I think everybody's on their own journey. And look, I mean, you know, people were listening to what I was saying, and and I didn't want to 
you know, I didn't want to influence people in a way that was not fair. You know, I was going through my thing. You're going through your thing. I'm happy to share it, but I didn't want that to be out of context. And so I stepped back, I was out of that. And then, you know, then it was still study and everything else. I mean, look, our first baptism date, I called off, didn't do Mm it. I was like, nope. I thought at that point is when I thought I'd lost my mind because I thought we had gotten all the way up. We had it scheduled. And I remember sending that email to the missionaries. I'm like, hard pause. Like I, maybe I've had an out of body experience and I have totally messed up my whole life. So pause, let me go rethink this again. Cause I, I really, wow. I wrestled with it for sure. Yeah. And were you working with these online sister missionaries the whole time or at some no, point th- did? These were, these were two now that had become, that were oh, local okay. to our ward. Yeah. And so, nice. and they were super sweet and, and forever grateful for them. And they were very patient and, and they understood. I mean, they were some of the only ones ironically that actually asked me about my experience and asked me what that meant. and what I was wrestling with there because nobody else did. It was so weird to me. Hmm. I'm like, hey, this is something you should probably ask about. And so, but they did. Like you're, so, you're talking about your, when you called, called off the baptism, they really asked, wanted to be open and ask about what you're going through. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, that's, that's exactly uh-huh. it. I mean, it wasn't, why aren't you getting baptized or are you having, or some this is crisis? the devil. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, it was none of that. You know, I remember like, like what's <laughs> like, and it was even prefaced. It, it's interesting. I have found that some of the most sort of emotionally intelligent people I've encountered happen to be missionaries, I think, because they talk to people a lot hmm. and they could pick up even as young as they are and didn't have any of the experience that I did, but they kind of got it. And I remember them just sort of asking, like, you know, if you're comfortable talking about it, I know this has got to be hard for you. So like, what's going on? If you want to, we're here. And I would text them sometimes at night, right? And I'd be finishing my evening study and I'd be like, you know, this is, I'm looking at this or I'm looking at that. And they were very, very patient and understood that this wasn't a straight line. I know a lot of people would love all these things to be straight lines. They're not straight lines. Conversion is messy and nuanced. And so I had to kind of navigate those waters. And it wasn't just me. I had a a wife that had been on this thing with me for all these years and my kids. And so, I mean, it was was a lot to it than just, you know, okay, great. The Book of Mormon's awesome. Let's go. You know, there's more to it. So when you called off that first baptism, that, I mean, your whole family were, was going to be baptized at that day or is it just so, so me and my wife? Yeah. Oh, okay. We're going to be. Yeah. So then what happened after that to, to the point where you did actually go through with it? You know, I, I, I had multiple meetings with them and, and I remembered I was sitting at a park, you know, the kids were playing and Crystal and I were talking and I said, you know, if, if we're just trying to come at this thing head on, just the, a lot doctrinally, I'm like, I just, I still can't get there. Like there's too much. It's too different, right? And I, mm. I think that's important to understand. I said, but if we're talking about the whole picture, a framework that incorporates family, incorporates you know community, incorporates prayer, incorporates scripture, if we're looking to, at a thing that's going to kind of be a framework that we can work in for, that's not just us alone with our scripture, but it impacts the rest of our lives. I'm like, this is the only framework that makes sense. And we, we, and, and so we, we kind of made this analogy. It's kind of like the power strip that you plug a bunch of inputs into, yeah. you know? And so this thing was going to, the church to us represented kind of this power strip. Our, you know, our marriage is plugged into this. Our family's plugged into this. Our, our business is plugged into this. All the stuff is plugged into this. And, it, and it's a framework that can support that load of all the things that come there. And that's what ultimately was like, okay, this combination of things makes mm-hmm. sense to us. This is a framework and, and we can, we could say yes. And so, yeah. yeah. So, we're, so, I mean, the, the model of this church and the, the gospel and everything made sense, but then would it be the type of thing where you get hung up on some doctrinal point that would sort of 
confuse you and then you'd sort of back away or need to breathe a little bit? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I think part of it was my own identity in this because I'm like, I'm going to go from mm-hmm. I'm preaching and teaching to sitting on a pew and nobody knows your name. Mm-hmm. And, and I was really concerned and, and I, I, I sometimes still am concerned, but I have a podcast now that I get to do it all the time. But I'm like, yeah, I've got a lot to say, a lot of study, a lot of experience. I want to help people with this. So I worried about, are we going to have any impact? And that, that matters to me. Yeah. And, and it really, and I know it mattered to Crystal, my, my wife as well. And so there was part of that from a pure doctrinal issue. It's kind of interesting. I didn't run up against anything that, you know, back where I came from, we talked about doctrinal issues that were state borders and national borders. Okay. So you never go to war on a state border issue. Like there's all kinds of things we can disagree on. Right. And, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. You're pre-trib, I'm post-trib, whatever. It doesn't matter. We're not going to go to war over that. There are some national issues that you're ready to throw down on doctrinally that are just fundamentals, right? But mm. I didn't have any national issues, as it were, that I was, I sometimes was concerned about language that I would hear people say, but I don't think they were saying it maliciously. I would think, I think they were saying it because they just weren't studied. They had kind of been in around it, but they weren't, they didn't really understand. So I didn't, it wasn't a doctrinal thing that threw me. It was mm. more like, how do we fit into this? Do, can we gotcha. fit into this? Yeah. Is this even going to make sense from, because we got to sit here and we got to talk to these folks and, and we didn't know how that was going to be. You know what I mean? I yeah. Mean, I think that's what it is. No, I love how you touch on the, the concept of identity because that's really where I can see how that would throw you. Like, cause in my life right now, I identify in so many ways and you know, the fact that I have in the, you know, in the past been a, a bishop and in a state presidency, like that gives me yeah. some level of identity where I feel like, you know, I have a, I sort of know the boundaries I have in this community. Like I feel comfortable raising my hand in a Sunday school class and stating something and everybody in the, in the room knows, well, he's a former bishop, so he can't be too much off his rocker. So, okay, I I see what he's saying, right? Where you're sort of coming in is I'm like, and you're just, I'm Gary and, (laughs) and here I am again, where you had, you had so much identity that sort of, uh, that you're able to, I mean, it was like just a warm blanket in these other communities, right? Like I feel like I, I have a place here. And now I don't. And that's scary. It really is perfectly said. I mean, I, I, I think we sort of felt, and maybe sometimes still, I mean, we joined the church at the wrong time. I mean, we came <laughs> up out of baptism a week later, lockdown. So oh we, goodness. we spent more time. I was just telling this to uh, one of our friends in church over, over his Slack chat or something. I said, we went, we were in the church building more as investigators than we have been as members. Because we went, we visited and we're in the church for what, six months, seven months before we finally got in, if you will. Uh-huh. And so uh-huh. then we, we got locked down. And so we were, we've still kind of to some degree, and I think probably a lot of people in this pandemic, you sort of feel like nomads. You're like, well, we're kind of there. We're kind of not, I don't know what's going on. And so, um, yeah, identity was a big thing. I mean, you know, look where we came from and you've been doing that for so long, you know, the lingo, you know, the culture, you know, the, the isms mm-hmm. and here we got it because we were, I mean, we spent a lot of time studying. We spent a lot of time asking questions and, but still you're, it's clear, you know, a, a lot of the time, you know, there's, there's, there's guys like you with all this experience and have been around it, which is awesome. And there's guys like me who are from the outside. Right. right. And so I'm always at a, I'm always battling in my own teaching and whatever we do. I'm really not interested in an us versus them conversation. But it's, it's hard not to have that sometimes when you're coming yeah. in from the outside. 
Yeah, because if you're in my ward, I could I could say every week, every day to you, hey, Gary, don't worry. Like, I know I've been a bishop and I've been in the church my whole life, but hey, you're part of us. Like, no matter how many times you say that, it's just not going to magically say, oh, okay, well, then that's yeah, our mission. I mean, I'm totally good yeah, now. Yeah. I mean, it's a process and it's messy and, and so yeah. forth. But Great. so I want to get in. You've touched on a, a few topics here I want to jump into, but anything else as far as your story, some main highlights or mile markers that uh, would be important to to uh, do, say before we we launch into that, yeah, you know, I, I would just say that my story is, I think what it demonstrates. I've always been a searcher, right? I mean, when I first someone first presented a Bible to me, and I started reach, you know, reading it, I was I was reaching and searching for this person of Jesus that I was hearing about, and so my journey has been about that. The ironic, super ironic thing that what was right before me discovering that podcast, Kurt, was actually, and I think this is what charged up the algorithm to lead me to that Book of Mormon conversation. This is my theory. I'm probably wrong. Who knows? But <laughs> I had, somebody had had me listen to an audio, and it was actually from a Jehovah's Witness because they were talking about the Trinity. Uh-huh. And so I had listened to it because I'm always happy to, you know, someone said, I want your opinion on this. I listened to it. No big deal. But God can use all kinds of pathways that otherwise we would look at on paper and go, that doesn't make sense. By definition, this conversation started with a guy doing a video that was a Jehovah's Witness for crying out loud. And, and so, which led to the Independent Fundamental Baptist listening to a talk, which hit play on a Book of Mormon, which hit play on Sherry Dew, which hit play on Elder Bednar and eBay in a Book of Mormon and online missionaries. And I mean, what? But yeah. all this thing ended in where we are now. And I mean, I spend my time when I'm not working, thumping on a podcast, mic, telling people about how precious this Book of Mormon is, how precious the Bible is, how to work this stuff into our faith. And so, I mean, it's just a journey where God can use all kinds of elements to bring this yeah. thing about. It's awesome. Yeah, right. And, and I've met with many, you know, friends who are Baptists or evangelical or whatever, and, and they have such a deep burning of Christ in their heart. And yeah. I'm just like, you know, sure, if you were to ask me if, if I would love if you were baptized a Latter-day Saint, yeah, I would be. But man, God bless you. You know, like you're you you're Absolutely. finding you're finding Christ in that journey. And it's who am I to say, well, your journey's not over yet. Or, you know, it's like, I hope it's not, but let's just rejoice in Christ. <laughs> you know, I love that you say that. Some of the weirdest things I heard early on was when folks would kind of talk to us like, well, the the meta communication was, hey, you were lost before, but you found it now. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm not quite sure about that. Yeah. And so I get what you're saying. Yeah. All right. So I want to I want to launch into a, into an adult conversation here. We're you're, we're both mature adults. We can yeah. both look at facts as they are, and uh, we're not making any you know indictment of certain faith points in our tradition or the Baptist tradition. But here's right. what intrigued me so much about want about talking with you and having this conversation is that at this point you are. You're a newly baptized member of the church for all, you know, all, you know, definitions or purposes or whatever. And, and, yeah. and so you, you bring with you a certain perspective with, that I don't have with my decades in the church, you know, being raised in it and, you know, hearing all the, the vernacular and everything from a young age. And also your experience as a leader, as a, as a pastor, preacher in the Baptist church, you, there's some leadership principles and things that you, you're bringing into it. And so you're at this point where you've probably seen things, obviously the world's upside down, but coming in just as you investigate the church, you probably saw some things that we do as a church and thought, huh, 
that's really cool. Like I, I hadn't even thought of that. And you know, all churches should, should do that. And then right. I'm sure there's other things where he thought, okay, you people are crazy. Like, why do you do that? <laughs> and it doesn't matter how many times people, well, you know, there's this handbook and this and that, and then this doctor and yeah, I still don't get it, man. Like, why, why are you doing that? Right. And so right. I just want to, I kind of see you as like a hired consultant coming into our church saying, okay, you have a little understanding of our church. Now, I, now help us understand what we're missing by being too close to it. So, so Love just t- tell me, like being a, a leader, a Baptist leader coming into a Latter-day Saint culture, like what comes to mind when you're just looking at us as a leadership organization, as a, as a church and so forth? Does that, does that help? Yeah, I think so. So let me take the first swing at that. We might foul off these first couple of pitches, but That's let me fine. see if I can That's get fine. one you in. You can play. always edit. Um, yeah. <laughs> For those listening, yes, the edits are good. Um, so as an outsider looking in, if you're asking me from just a perspective of looking at how it's led and, and how that feels with a new person coming in, um, here's what I would say in a general sense. When we were investigating, which I've always found that phrase interesting, but when we, when we were investigating, what would you call somebody investigating the Baptist church? Like, what's what would you say? I would just say someone was visiting. Yeah, I mean, they're just they're just they're just visiting. Okay. I mean, you see this um, type of stuff I, I want to hear. Yeah, this is good. All right. I mean, you know, and so when we were doing that, it was full court press. I mean, it was you for got, you or for yeah, for, us? for them for them. So okay. so so they were to us. They were they were. I was. You'd get text messages. You'd get calls. There was cookies at the door. There was. They came by, I remember last Christmas and were caroling at the front door. They, I mean, it was, it was, it was a bunch of really, and I would say all wonderful things, great connection things, not heavy theology. Cause that, you know, I mean, and I think some of them were nervous to talk to me about that stuff. So they kind of kept it, which is fine, probably smart, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, yeah. but I think that it was, there was a real warmth and a real connection. And it was like, I remember Crystal and I often going, Again, there's something in the water. This is amazing. Like everybody's so like, this is cool. And in only if you know, in the beginning, that was that was a wonderful thing. As we got closer, it kind of started feeling. I walked out of church one day and I thought, I remember saying to Crystal on the drive home, I thought, well, if it's I, I know that they mean being this nice. I, I really do. But it's so sort of glossy that it concerns me because it I'm looking for some edges or like some you know, like it's just yeah. too, right? I mean, I was a little bit worried about that. But when we came, we, we get baptized and we come up, that full court press kind of dramatically changes. Hmm. And not that the world should center around the Millers. It should. Right. I get it. But there's a real dramatic difference, right? So there's kind of like, we've got you on the car lot. We've got you in full court press to make the deal. We've closed the sale. But then where's the follow up, right? And where I come from, it's discipleship. It's the, it's that connection post, you know, someone's in. And so that's where it felt like there was a real disconnect. Now, in fairness, we did this in the middle of the pandemic, right? So there wasn't a manual on that, but, and I know we love manuals, but I, I think that it's, so that impacted it. No one really knew what to do with that. So it was easy for, for folks to kind of get lost in the cracks, but you know, for, for my thing, and, and I think from a leadership perspective, I think about if we're going to pay attention to this stuff on the front end, learning about a family, learning about where they're coming from and, and that kind of stuff, there's a lot of nuance, again, that impacts conversion. Now, for us, this mm-hmm. wasn't conversion to getting to know Jesus. We knew Jesus. This was switching the framework. This was, again, changing jerseys, if you will. And so if all those things are at play, where we were, where we came from, all that stuff, 
I think that needs to be paid attention to. My biggest word of encouragement for leaders would be like, once that person's in now, the answer isn't to apply the checklist on what we do with every new member now. Each member comes, new member comes with their own set of things that led them there. Gifts, talents, potential, struggle, ability, environment, all those things. We need to be looking at that in the post-baptism you know, baptism world, post they're in now, because those are going to be the buttons and the connection points to really, I think, create genuine fellowship, discipleship, and connection. And so that would be the, the one general observation from our vantage point that we saw. I hope that makes some sense. Yeah. So it's, it sounds like, you know, just the, and I often joke, like if sometimes our, our church can feel like Walmart started a church and we're just a very large bureaucracy that with manuals and training manuals and this thing and, oh, that checklist, do this when that happens. Right. And so sure. when a new member comes in, it's like, okay, well, you need the new member discussions. I don't think we do that anymore, but you need, yeah. uh, you need to go to this class and this, and then and, and sometimes it's like, I just want to be me and sort of just have, maybe explore for a minute or I, I don't know, like maybe just somehow see people as an individual coming into the church rather than, okay, we need to, we need to orient this new member to all these things. Is that what you're it saying? It makes a lot of sense. I was just having a conversation. I've got a good friend of mine, pastor still in San Antonio. And I told him, I said, one of the things that you guys have figured out is non-denominational evangelical. And, and I said, you know, what you guys have figured out in discipleship is brilliant because your arm, people are not unclear that your arms are wide open, right? But that once someone's in, they, they spend a lot of time kind of nurturing relationships and kind of connecting. And I don't mean to sound too spongy here, but connecting heart to heart and personally with people over a period of time. And yes, of course, there's gospel teaching around that. And yes, there's, there's hey, here are the kind of fundamentals of the faith. But that's often done in a way where whether that's you know, at the formal church service or Sunday school or cell group meetings in the middle of the week where people are having pizza and having a lesson in someone's living room or, you know, whatever the case, they've done a really, really good job of not restricting this just to what happens on Sunday morning and certainly not restricting it early on to, you know, all right, here are the, here are the seven steps that you, you know, the boxes you have to check off to kind of be in the culture. And I don't want to be confusing here. I, I'm not interested in changing the rules of the game. I am right, yeah. interested in, in how we kind of look at what are we doing, not just with converts. I would say, you know, what are we doing with all members about how are we really connecting with them? And that I understand connection can be kind of nebulous, but how are we linked up to them beyond just the lists or the calling or the, the tasks? I have no doubt we are very effective at the rudiments of religion. I sometimes get concerned that we are ineffective in truly connecting with the people in the pew, if that makes gotcha. sense. So it sounds like, you know, from your experience coming in, like we have certain administrative processes that are meant to create connection and community possibly, but they're so administrative that you can't get past the administration happening in order to even reach the connection. Is that a good way to say it? It is. And, and I want to be very clear so that, you know, I don't get emails later, neither do you. I, I'm, <laughs> listen, I understand administrative is both important and practical. God's not an author of confusion. We got to have you know, our house orderly. Got it. I get it. Check. But the, the, the issue here is that I think anything administratively, it's what's behind it. It's I think everything we should be doing should be leading us to Jesus and helping right. us to live more like him. And so we've got the great models in the scripture. We know that. We've got a living prophet to help us guide us. I mean, this is not complicated, but I think sometimes we can get too wrapped up 
And listen, this doesn't just happen with us. I mean, you know, it happened right. where I came from. You know, we're so wrapped up in the, in the sort of this is what we do as part of our niche, but we're missing the people that are doing it. And yeah. so I think that's a real, because um, everybody's bringing something different to this table. Everybody's going to run this race at their own pace, right? And so I'm always thinking when I'm teaching it myself and when I'm talking to people, I'm thinking about how do we get to really understand them? Not because we're trying to change everything to please everybody. That doesn't certainly work. But it's a lot easier to usher in procedure or administrative or, by the way, usher in the, hey, this is what we do here. This is part of wearing this jersey. It's a lot easier to usher that in when I've connected some way with you before we get to that. Otherwise, you can, you can lose folks. And I think that's real. Yeah. So I'm just curious, like from your Baptist experience, and not that they had it figured out or, or anything, no. but, but is there anything that was easier to do in that context than in the Latter-day Saint context, as far as this, you know, creating this a connection or a leader to do in that context? My sense is we were certainly a lot freer to let it rip. So we didn't have to, we didn't have, to have four meetings and, and get approval about, hey, we're going to get together with everybody on Wednesday night and we're going to you know, invite everybody over to you know, Brother So-and-So's house and we're going to do a lesson for the month of March out of the book of Acts. You know, I think mm. there was a lot more freedom to, and, and I'm not suggesting that we don't have that freedom here. I just know from an administrative point and how it was structured, we didn't have to kind of step so gently perhaps. Yeah. And so, and truth be told, I mean, we've had a history of that, you know, independent Bible studies, scripture studies in a home is sort of frowned upon because, you know, what, what are you, what's really going on there? But we're now, you know, Elder Cook, as he presented the new two hour plan, he really, they've, and they're the come follow me. They've really encouraged that, you know, so that's sort of a new Absolutely. shift. Yeah. Right. And so I, I think the difference is we would, and, and I love that and we're, we, we read it every night as a family, but my, I, I think the issue is how do you bring people together outside of the normal confines of Sunday school, Sunday morning? And I think that's what was different. For us, we, hmm. we had a certain fluency in that, and it wasn't, and we didn't have a manual for that. This was just, this is what you did. Like if I didn't know personally what was going on with everybody and was connected with them and talking to them, even outside of, of the other stuff, like the regular church things then I was missing dramatically as a leader. Like, what in the world are you doing? You know, because mm -hmm. if, I don't, if I don't have a sense of that, and I, you know, I, I used to tell folks all the time, I mean, if you don't know the names of the kids and the dog and the cat and these other things, but you're interested in ripping face about how they're living and what they need to go do, you need to go do this, uh -huh. this, and this, and this. I'm like, well, what's the, name of the, what's the name of the third son? I don't know. Well, ratchet it back, brother. We yeah. got to come back to some basics here. And so for me, again, I, I want to be careful here. I, I'm not suggesting that, you know, you throw caution to the wind, but right. I, am, I am suggesting that, and because we are so sort of home-centric now, especially in the pandemic, for crying out yeah. loud, it yeah. doesn't seem like it would be hard. I mean, I, I have struggled during this pandemic. I'm like, why are my non-denominational Protestant friends still doing meetings, Zooming it out, Bible studies on Facebook like crazy? And we've had, you know... I can count on half a hand how many elders core meetings we figured out how to do on Zoom. That doesn't make sense to me. Mm. And we need to be both leveraging technology and putting this at the front. Because even if it is via Zoom, that's better and would be better than the void, right? There's nothing going yeah. on. And I get that it's easy to silo. And I get in a, in, a, in a pandemic, it's easy to kind of get in our own worlds. But I get that. But I also think it's inexcusable. It's not the gospel mm. and it's not what we read in scripture. Yeah. And just being, you know, trying to be more vigilant at doing, being proactive at 
doing those types of community focused things, right? Yeah. I mean, if I, I, I've been preaching a series in, in, in the book of Acts and I'm like, everywhere you see it, eating together, praying together, singing together, worshiping together, together, mm-hmm. together, 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 right? And, and, and from, oh, it's everywhere. It's everywhere, right? But here we are. Well, I've got my quad and my study and my family in here and I got the jersey on and I'm like this, you know, I'm like, dude, uh-huh. what, what are yeah. we doing? And it seems like what I'm learning from this, from your perspective is you sort of feel like there's some level of act of Congress that has to take place in order for a, an official sanctioned church meeting to happen. And so therefore that resistance is enough for people to say, well, I'll just wait till the elders quorum does something. And you know what? And I, I think that is, and it may be unfair. It may not be that. I mean, look, I could call, I could call up 10 people right now and say, let's do a Zoom. I'm not breaking the law right. by having a Zoom and talking right. about the Bible. I mean, or the Book of Mormon. But I think it's just about us getting in that posture. Yeah. I mean, I, I sometimes I was just talking to a good friend about this. I'm like, we all seem to be looking at the other guy and looking at each other going, we're waiting on something, somebody to give the green light. Well, the green light was given when Jesus said, go forth and preach the gospel. I already got the green light. <laughs> like we, yeah. we, so we should be already, we mm-hmm. don't need to wait around. None of this is, is controversial or we're doing some fringe thing. This, this is just about us going. And from a leadership perspective, it's like, hey, I mean, even just, man, hop open a FaceTime, call yeah. somebody up. You know, yeah. I mean, these are all little things and much easier, again, obviously to sit from the, you know, the cheap seats and go, why are you guys doing this right? But <laughs> I, I think from my perspective, and I think for all of us, not just for converts, not just a convert conversation, this is everybody that, you know, we sort of go, wait a minute, we have opportunities to connect. And it also, by the way, I remember, you'll love this story, Kurt. I, I remember sitting down with a guy that I was mentoring, pastor in San Antonio. And I would come in every time we'd meet. I know our audience can't see this, but I, I'd come in with my Bible, right? And uh-huh. we'd sit down and we'd start to study. Like, I mean, I would go straight off, like right into the study. And I remember him saying to me, and I, I mean, the Holy Spirit just knocked me out with this statement. He goes, hey, um, Pastor Miller. I said, yeah. He said, like, is it ever possible for you and I just to get together and have a hamburger and not talk about any of this stuff right away? And, and I thought, I mean, now I know what some are thinking. Well, yeah, we got to preach the doctrine. I get it. I'm with you. Like I'm the first uh-huh. guy to raise a hand on that. But I had not connected with this guy at all. Like uh-huh. I was, I had all the stuff, Kurt. I knew all the things to say. We're in discipleship class. Bless God. I'm going to teach you. But he's like, and it turns out he was going through some seriously heavy stuff. And here I am ushering in my message, but I haven't even taken the time to go, wait a minute, what is happening with you? Yeah. And so. There would be some that would make the case, we don't have time for all that. Yes, you do. You know, we, we're super busy. No, you're not. I mean, th- there's, there's plenty of time to connect with people. Otherwise, we're missing the plot completely. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, if, let's say you were saying all this and maybe, you know, and you didn't have the context of being a Latter-day Saint as you are now, we would, we would respond like, oh, this is why our church is so great, Gary, because we have what's called the ministering program. And so everybody's like assigned to everybody else. And and we're just watching over each other. So don't worry. Like, Gary, we, we're good there. We got it figured out, right? And, and then on the inside, we say like, yeah, but like nobody does it or like, and I mean, what's been your, that experience as far as like, like you, you see the structure, it's there, Gary. Like, and mm-hmm. I mean, what, what's been the, the experience of understanding that the ministering program and how that's supposed to work? Because sometimes it doesn't. A lot of times it doesn't. I would say, first of all, the family that was assigned to us and still is, I, I, yeah, that, that is our ministering family that has helped us and, and talked to us. They have been incredibly sweet and, and I'm grateful for them, particularly early on. I mean, 
the one dear brother was, I, I have this retinal vein occlusion issue that I've been dealing with for the last eight months in one of my eyes. And he probably three or four times took me to my appointments because I couldn't drive afterwards when they'd give me these injections. And he couldn't have been more generous. And there was, I could think of many times when, when generosity has certainly been felt and very appreciated. I think from a ministering topic in general, though, again, this comes down to the first way I think we help people get better at this is to model it. Somebody's got to step up and start making this more about, you know, hey, we, we connect with people. I know I keep saying this word a lot, but it's more than just, you know, well, it's the month. I think I have to send a text or call somebody. Okay, great. Check. You know, right now, Kurt, obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? And all kinds of craziness in the world. Wherever you fall on all these things, it's real that it's crazy. So of all the times to be reaching out in an intentional, deliberate, non-structured, non-scripted way, it's now. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it starts by being, I think, seeing others do it in a way that, that, is, that is genuine and, and just, again, not a scripted thing. But then also knowing that, you know, you've got permission to get creative with this. You know, there's, there's a lot of ways yeah. to come at things. You don't have to, you know, we don't have to fold the arms and bow the head here. Stop it. I mean, there, we, can, <laughs> we can do this a lot of different ways. And just having that, that, I think, realizing, but I think part of this, Kurt, honestly, this is, this is my basic impression. I think if folks are not daily rooted in scripture, if they're not close to Jesus in prayer, I think the heart can develop a certain hardness to it that'll either make things rudimentary, structured, but is not connected and alive personally with people. Hmm. And so, and look, if I stay close to the scripture, I'm going to get close to Jesus. I'm going to learn more of how, how this thing runs. If I'm close to prayer, I'm going to be much more sensitive to those prompts of the Holy Ghost to say, you need to call him, text him, go knock on the door, send a cart, do whatever. I'm going to be much more sensitive to that. And then as a result, I think it's going to come out in how I minister to others. But ministering to others, I don't think the formula, and I'm, I'm not trying to be unkind, I don't think the formula is, here's a link to the ministering handbook thing, and we're going to run these reports every now and again where you tell us what's going on. I understand that structurally that makes sense. I'm not criticizing yeah. that. Right. But I'm, I'm suggesting that this starts with us. And is my heart sensitive to what's happening with somebody else? I think it gets sensitive because I'm getting real close to the Lord in the scripture. I'm getting real close to him in prayer so that I can hear it when he's telling me, hey, go do this, go do that. If I'm doing it, if I'm away from those things and I'm not spending time genuinely in that pursuit, that I'm not going to be as sensitive. And then what am I left with? I'm left with a checklist. I'm left yeah. with here we are. And that's cold and it's, there's not much to it. And I can't think of anything more important than for us to truly minister to people. But I think that that means where's our source for how we effectively minister? It comes from Jesus. So if that's the source, then I need to be close to it so I can understand. I can hear from the Holy Ghost so I'd know how to go and do. Right? It's that old primary song. Right? I talk about this all the time. You want to get me in my feels on my podcast? Primary songs. Dude, I break down. I can't take it. But I, I will go. I will do the things the Lord commands, right? Yeah. I can't do it if I'm not in the word, if I'm not in prayer. Fundamentals will help me be much better at ministry. When you're led of the spirit, you don't need to be led by a checklist. Oh, I love that. And I remember uh, I'd often remind that when I was serving as bishop, you know, I remember this one instance uh, when I called a new relief society president and her counselors. And I remember stating to the ward, and I think we 
you know, about this new newly called sister. And I said, in one sense, we look at those in the church that have callings as, wow, they have a lot of responsibility, a lot of a lot weighing on them. But at the end of the day, they have it easy because the ministering opportunities are served to them on a platter. They don't necessarily have to go too far to find it, but it's the lay member who has to wrestle and seek it out that becomes more difficult. And we all have the requirement to minister and serve, but for leaders, it can be a lot easier. So don't look at this new Relief Society president and think, oh man, she's got a lot to, to worry about now. We all have a lot to worry about. You know, we all have the saints in the kingdom that, that we're worrying about. And sometimes we almost, not that we get excited or, you know, when someone gets sick or going through a difficult time, but when someone has someone they minister who needs to ride to their eye doctor. It's sort of like, all right, like I've got something to do. Right. So right, I'm right. so glad that Gary's eyeball's about to burst because now I can, <laughs> I can serve him, but it's in the, it's in the right. moments where we have to like sit with it and be like, okay, like I got to get close to the word and I got to pray here. Cause like, how do I do this? It's not just going to come knocking on my door or, or come as a phone call from the elders because I have to engage with it and go figure out how to minister. Right. I love what you just said. I think two things have been really helpful to me because at first, I did not feel, and I still don't over here, I don't feel like I'm being nearly as effective because I think I'm still trying to, to sort of paint by the established numbers. I think it hurts me as a, as a, <laughs> I, I, I reached out, one, I've, I've pressed in in prayer about this. That's the best thing anybody listening can do. And I have simple questions. How can I do this better? And then I just recently, like a week ago, like guys, I have not arrived on any of this stuff. About a week ago, I sent a text to the brother that that I am assigned with that we ministered to a couple of families. I said, hey, you've been on the team a lot longer than me. This was literally my text message. You've been on the team a lot longer than me. Can you, and because I'm fighting for feedback, can you tell me how I, what we do here that would be more effective or how I can be better? You know, what can I be doing to better serve these families? And so it's asking those questions, even asking, even if they don't have a magical answer, but you start thinking about how you can actually be better. And not that there's some scale. You're super minister. You're not so super minister, but better in the <laughs> sense that you you know, hey, I think I've I think I've got something going on here. You know, I I, I know that I need to that I need to be searching, like you said, because not all the opportunities are going to be obvious. And let's face it, we live in a world where most people, nine out of ten, you go, hey, how are things going? Everything's fine. Now, meanwhile, the house is burning down around them, right? I mean, like <laughs> they're dealing with a massive financial crisis or a health crisis or a marital issue. Or the kids are hanging from the chandelier. Something's going crazy. But of course, we ask people, especially men often, how are things going? Oh, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, we're not good. And so all of us is, is fighting some silent war, right? At some point in our lives. So I think that asking in prayer, asking people that you trust, you know, in, in the church, people that maybe been around that are good at it, fight for that feedback of what can I be doing? I'm still working on this, you know, because I think for me, and I, I'm waiting for somebody. Maybe you'll do it for me, Kurt. Someday text me and just say, hey, minister in a way that you can be creative, Gary. It's okay. You don't have to just do this one way because yeah. I feel very, and, and again, this could be totally unfair, but I, I feel constrained by the culture a bit because I don't want people thinking, oh, the guy from the outside came in and is doing this crazy stuff over here, right? Yeah. But I just, I know that I struggle with that. I want to be able to to reach a little bit more deliberately and in, in a way that, that people can feel because I know that, you know, like I said, that brother taking me to those eye appointments meant the world to me. And that was a big, obvious thing, clearly like a serious side issue, but that meant the world to me. And those conversations that happened on the way there and back, those conversations yeah. were about all kinds of things. Right. And so 
that can be helpful. I think fighting for the feedback, praying about how you can be better, I think is yeah. a great place to start. And I appreciate like the leadership principle I'm taking away from this is like being intentional of giving the people you lead permission to connect. And, and because it sounds like from your Baptist experience, it was part of the culture that people would just get together and have a Bible study. It's just what you did. Absolutely. Right? And I think of now, like if I was to invite people over, I mean, obviously it's different now. <laughs> they may not want to come over, but, <laughs> right, but uh, right. you know, but getting my own group, like there's so much resistance there. The introvert in me is like screaming, like, don't let these people in your house. You'll be so uncomfortable. But the more we do it, we just haven't had the practice, I would say, and I hate to make general statements, but as a faith community, we haven't had much practice in that Bible study situation that at least I haven't personally. And so that's a good place that a leader to give permission to the ward, say, hey, you know, you guys can get together all you want. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. And hey, why don't a few families, why don't you go find a family to do a come follow me lesson with this this coming week and get on Zoom or whatever, like just that permission and reminding yeah. them that it doesn't take an act of Congress or it doesn't have to be church saint sanctioned or elders no. quorum approved to do these things, right? And it doesn't have to be super sophisticated. I mean, no one needs to have like the hermeneutic of the exposition of the text. I mean, this doesn't need to be some <laughs> formal, you know, thing. Right. Let's get together. We'll pick a section that fine. How to come follow me. Great. We're going to have some dinner again in a post-COVID era. Now it's fine. Bring right. your dinner onto the Zoom. Like right. bring your dinner, show it on the Zoom. Let's talk and let's chat it up. Like how do we, you know, hey, guys, I mean, someone doesn't have to be like me and be like the guy preaching it. It can just right. be as simple as, hey, this is the verse. Let's read it together. Hey, how do we do something with this this week, guys? Unmute. Let people talk. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and then all, watch what happens because out of that, in the beginning, of course, everybody will be sitting there like, oh, I'm not sure. But get folks used to this, just mm-hmm. used to the, the cadence of it. And you'll have some conversations that'll come up that'll blow your mind. I'll tell you, because I'll tell you what's going to happen because I've seen this many, many times in my previous world. The Holy Ghost is going to get up in on some of these conversations and it's gonna, there's going to be revelation and some insight that you would never have thought of. Plus, people are giving you an insight into them. And now we've got something that we can really talk to somebody about. It's much easier to have that conversation because I've been meeting with you for months and we've been, you know, having Wednesday night, you know, pizza, food, Bible study and discussion. And so when I ask you four months later, hey, man, just check it in. How are you doing? You know, Gary, I'm glad you asked. Actually, I'm doing horrible. And here's why. Because now I've built this trust bridge and this awareness bridge, this connection bridge that otherwise I wouldn't have. I think sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll relate to this, Kurt. I think sometimes when we're ministering, we're doing it like we're cold calling, right? Like nobody yeah. knows our name yet. And yeah. it feels that way because we haven't done this other stuff on the front end. And so I think when we're ministering, it should be warm calls. And if it's warm calls, we've warmed them up through connection, right? And so, yeah, I think about that often. I did a thing on my, and I didn't, I didn't do anything with it, Kurt. And I, you know what? You just challenged me just by looking at me that way to do this this coming <laughs> week. I told my podcast, I said, well, you know what we need to do for the people that listen to me like, I mean, they hit play every time I come on. I'm like, guys, we need to have a Zoom at least once a month where we all jump on and we're just having a virtual prayer meeting. We need to do it. And I Love said it. that and I didn't do anything with it, Kurt, because I thought, I'll tell you what I thought. I thought either one, people are going to think that I'm turning this into some kind of Pentecostal revival, which frankly would be awesome, but I, <laughs> I, I'm not doing that. Like we need a little Pentecostal, frankly. But, but I was either worried about that or I thought people would be like, you know, Brother Miller, you know, you can't be doing, I'm like, what? We're getting together to pray. I mean, I got acts all over this. We come together and pray, right? So <laughs> I need to do stuff. I need to do it. And I'm naturally built for that, right? But it's those things where we get out and find if two people show up 
and we come together and agree in some prayer. Can God move on that prayer? Absolutely he can. But it gets us in a cadence together because we're doing something that's different. And what did Paul say? Beginning of Romans, the fellowship of you and I, our friendship is built on this fellowship of our mutual faith, you and me. And so when we do things like that, a simple prayer meeting once a month, I mean, imagine, Kurt, I'm not pitching you, but imagine if you got your community together with mine and we brought everybody together for a prayer meeting once a month on a Zoom. I tell you, a bunch of people would show up. And if nothing else happened, if you and I were the only ones praying, the spirit would move. I promise you, he would. And so it's that kind of stuff. Again, we're not changing the sacrament meeting. We're not changing the rule. No, we are living it. I mean, I think that's living it in a very real way. And Kurt might edit that out, but he shouldn't. I'm telling you, that's a good idea. <laughs> no, I think uh, I think we got to put a, a leading saints, uh, you know, narrow gate uh, podcast prayer something prayer together. together. So, I'm telling all right. you. All right, we'll look into it. Let's do yeah. it. Let's do anyway, it. Anyway, didn't mean to throw you off with that. I just think I just felt led to say that. I think the spirit threw us off, both off with that. So that's fine. Yeah. So one dynamic, I'm really intrigued to get your input in because let me give you two hypothetical situations and you can correct me on the Baptist one. I would imagine, and maybe you telling us more about your experience when, was there a moment, like what's the process of becoming a Baptist minister? Like, do you have to fill out an application? Does some committee somewhere sign off on it? Do right. you just say, Hey, I've, I'm putting this money together. I got my 15 chairs and here we go. Like, but there's this moment I, nobody called you and said, Brother Miller, we are like to extend the calling as a Baptist yeah. minister to you, right? Like, so no. how did how did the, how does that work? Like the technicalities of it. You know, no one has ever asked me that question ever. That's awesome. <laughs> that's what we do here, Gary. Um, that's what we um, do. So that's what we do. So, so there's really two kind of lines, Kurt. Two traditional lines here. One is the sort of protege line. So think of it as the apprenticeship line. Okay. So you sit under the preaching of somebody that's been doing it. You sit under that for a certain period of time. There's not a manual on if that's three years, five years, or three months, but you sit under that teaching or part of that, really understand core doctrines, the fundamentals of the faith, if you will. And then in sitting under that, then you start to preach some, and then you start to preach more. And then, you know, magically it's, hey, you're good. You've been under this for a while. Either they call you, like they, not in the sense that, like you said, nobody calls you up on the phone, but like they'll tell you, hey, man, you're, you're good to go. You don't need to sit under us. You should go, you know, you should go start a church. Or, you feel that way. And you're like, I am pressed. It's our time to go. That was me, right? Now, the other path, and I'm kind of both. I was like a hybrid. So, you know, this is, I'm a bit of a mix up, right? So the other path is to do exactly what I said, but then you go through formal seminary, right? So you go to grad school, get an MDiv, Master's of Divinity, and do that kind of thing. So I went to do my MDiv at Liberty Theological Seminary. I did it virtually because that's in Lynchburg, Virginia, and I lived in Texas. I was in the military at the time. Thank you, GI Bill, for paying for it. But yeah, so we we did that while doing the sort of apprenticeship version of it, right? The, the that so it was kind of a combination. But ultimately, Kurt, to answer the question, ultimately somebody has that clear impression that it's time to do it. But normally, that's not in a vacuum. You know, somebody has you have sat under somebody, you have been gotcha. exposed enough, you know that that's happening. Right. But but you don't need a permission slip. Let's be fair. If you feel it, look, you're going to put yourself on the line. You're going to order the chairs. You're going to show up for the first meeting. I mean, look, the first meeting was me, my wife, our youngest daughter at the time. There's only one kiddo at the time and a cat in the living room. That was meeting number one. I preached hard too. It was awesome. But we had this thing called the internet, which really helped me. So I was recording all my sermons. I'd put them up and people were listening. 
little Facebook geo-targeting on the ads, you know the deal, and more people started hearing it. And yeah, it goes from there. Yeah. So yeah, kind of so, two pathways, but that's generally it. And I appreciate that. It helps understand sort of that experience where, I mean, but there was this moment where you thought, you know what? I feel called, mm-hmm. I, I want to, I want to step forward and, and lead and, and lead Absolutely. a church, right? Now yep. take that to, let's say I am, let's say I'm in a ward and I hear, oh, the bishop is, was transferred out of state. He's moving. So we know his release is coming. And I think, well, great. I set an appointment with the stake president. I said, president, whoever, like, I, I want you to know, like, I just love this gospel. I want to serve. I think I would be a good option for the next bishop. Like I, I, when I have some experience, I've been a bishop, so that might help. And, and I loved it. And so I want to do it again. Like, will you consider me? Now, if that happened, my name would move from maybe the top of the list to all the way down to the bottom. Like this guy does not understand how this works. So I'm curious. Really? Really? (laughs) Wow. Seriously? Yeah. I mean, I I didn't. So (laughs) maybe I'm exposing you to part of our culture that... (laughs) No, this is good. Live. No, <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. No, <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> where where you are somebody who's experienced a good, you know what it's like to preach hard. You know what it's like to lead. You know what it's like to organize a church to do all these things. Now you're in a you're in this organization where you just you can't step forward and say, well, I I want to lead. And if you do. There's sort of this feeling like, well, are you aspiring to a certain calling? And and that's very looked down upon. Now I'm, I could do a whole podcast on what I think about aspiring to callings because the, the reality is, I was a bishop at 28, little young, didn't know what I was doing. I sure hope I get another opportunity at it. I sure hope I get more opportunities in leadership. Now, if I was wow. to say that, people would be like, no, you're you're not supposed to say that. So you've shifted from this culture of, yeah, step forward and leave, brother. Hallelujah, like. Let's hear it mm-hmm. to this yeah. culture of like, okay, you just wait your turn. And maybe, maybe if now I'm kicking a lot of sacred cows here because I truly believe, yeah, it is done by people are called of God through prayer and, and these things. But I sort of, my heart aches for you a little bit. And I think this is why you've started your podcast. So you have a an avenue to, to preach and share your testimony. Absolutely. But I'm like, here comes Gary. He has so much, has so much going momentum, the spirit. and now he has to just sit there, you know, like, and maybe mm-hmm. you will be called to an elders quorum presidency or whatever. And that would be awesome. But it just is such a different dynamic. And I'm curious, maybe, maybe again, I'm just revealing this to you, but what thoughts come to mind? Like how, I don't know. I, and there's no question in there, but I'm just like, wow, no, that's I, an interesting thing that Gary's walking into. Ooh. <laughs> um, so again, in the interest of, of honoring your, your show and honoring the audience, I'll try to be as careful with this as I can be. Um, And I mean that. I I mean that. I think that's important. So this was and has been, and I don't, you know, for the people who listen to me enough, they know I don't talk about this stuff as if I've arrived and I figured it out and I've made peace with everything. No, I haven't. I mean, there there are some of this that I genuinely struggle with. This topic, Kurt, hundred percent struggle with it. I do. I mean, amen. I mean, and I don't. You know, I'm sure someone would love me to say. Well, you know, now that I'm part of this, I just accept this is all part of the divine economy of how this works and everything's good. Wherever, you know, whenever and whenever and if, it's all good. I don't think that way at all. It's frustrating to me personally. But I also know the church is not here just to cater to my needs. But I do think, as Paul said so effectively, writing to a church that at least in some parts was kind of a hot mess. He's talking to the church at Corinth and he, and he reminds them that we've all got sort of gifts differing. 
right? I think it's a really important phrase. I think a lot of people on all sides of the doctrinal scale, from the most progressively liberal doctrinal people to the hardest core folks to, to guys like me who kind of live somewhere in the middle, I think that if we understand that people have gifts differing, Kurt, then we, then we go, okay, one that helps me understand different approaches a little bit better. doesn't mean I have to like everything, but it makes me understand them a little bit better. But for me, that is something that, and I don't know what the solve is for it. I don't think there is one. I think I have to continue to sort of grow in grace, as the scripture would tell me. But right. but I do have I do have avenues. And and that's, you know, I knew the podcast was gonna start before I went to the stake center to get baptized. I told Crystal, I'm like, I can't do this. If I literally I can't. I can't. If if I'm gonna sit and not teach, not preach, not do anything, I can't. No, hard pass. And I said, I have to have this as part of this. She's like, absolutely. And you know, because that was, I mean, again, that might sound incredibly self-serving, and that's okay, but that's part of the gifts. And I've been doing this for a long time. I don't think God gives gifts that he just wants you to put on a shelf forever. I, mean, I don't think that makes sense. And so thankfully I have an, an outlet in a way, but do I, do I wish I had that reach and the ability to connect and kind of set cultural pace and, and light some people up on a Sunday morning? Yeah, of yeah. course I do. And by the way, light up in a good way. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, I want I want you to walk out from a sermon on Sunday being ready to take on the world with a water pistol. You're going to go winning souls all over the place. Do I wish I was doing that every week like I used to? Of course I do. You and I, I confided in you in our pre-interview conversations. I mean, I, I've sat, I shared this on my podcast just a couple weeks ago. I've asked my wife more than once. I've been like, hey, babe, no one's here. No one's listening. Did I did the right thing, right? You know, like, I mean, this this was yeah. right. Yeah, and that, those that's moments. not. Yeah. That's not some questioning of the church or questioning a doctrine. It's your place in it and your place in this world, as it were. So I, I've been, I've had those moments many, many times. Yeah. And, you know, I, I appreciate that, you know, walking into your baptism where you're telling your wife, I need an avenue here and it's going to be a podcast if it has to, but I need an avenue. And when I, you know, I'm about to move into a new ward in January, we're building a home that we're, we're moving in. And a part of me is walking into that ward thinking, I've got to lead somewhere. Like I don't need to be the bishop, but I right. I've got to lead somewhere because that's just who I am and what I do. And yeah. so I'm I may be the annoying guy who's like organizing stuff, or you know I may be looking to uh, get familiar with the bishop and the elders quorum president, not because I'm gunning for their job, but because like hey I'm here, like I'm experienced, what put me to work, like what can I do? And unfortunately, in our culture, and I'm just going to call it out how I see it in our culture, we sort of think no, actually, what you're supposed to do is. When a new bishop is called, we're supposed to like passively, aggressively act like we don't want it. And oh boy, well, maybe I'll grow grow a beard out, you know, just so I don't get calls. Like, why? Like, why? <laughs> just, I <laughs> know I'm showing you some part of our culture Good. here, but, and, and I want to tell, or when people come to me when I was bishop, they're like, well, you're a bishop. I'm like, oof, I would never want to do that. And I'd say, like, why? It's like the best calling in the church. Like, I, I'd encourage anybody, if you get this opportunity, say yes. It is so remarkable. You get to see the atonement on this, the, the atonement work from the sidelines. Like it's, it's remarkable, you know? Yeah. And, but so this is something that I, I guess I'm sort of wa- warning you as you walk into this culture a little bit, but it also, I want to inspire you and others to say like, we've got to stop this passive aggressive of not wanting to lead. And I get life is busy or whatever, but man, we, um, you know, I, the, get the scripture reference, but he who desires to be a bishop desires a good thing or a good cause, right? Like, there you go. It's beautiful. And we have to stop being like, well, I don't know. I don't really want that. And if I do, I'm aspiring. Like this whole aspiring thing is, we, it needs to be called into question is what I'm saying. So 
Anyways, yeah, boy, a- boy, we have all sorts of editing to do, but I'm not going to do any of it, Gary. So. I, I don't think you should. <laughs> I think it's great. Yeah, I think I think so, this is a, this is a conversation worthy of unedits, right? I mean, because yeah, I it's you know, a real for, one. For, yeah, for me, I mean, again. I appreciate your comment about the beard thing it was hilarious. Like, like I've got to go like meditate on that. But yeah, I, I as someone who has a beard, but I, <laughs> I wonder about, you know, for me that this was genuinely a wrestle in the process and it still is one and how that pans out, who knows, but I am thankful. And it's all the more reason I think for those that feel like, you know, look, I was in the military for 12 years. I was a non-commissioned officer, like leading and kind of, charging and, and making a way. It's just in my DNA. And I'm an entrepreneur on top of it, right? I mean, like, shut the front door. I mean, we this is what we do. So <laughs> yeah. when I think about that, and then then obviously doing it with with the church where I came from, this is something that I know that it's all the more reason to do things like we talked about, even as informal as they are, and they certainly aren't against anything, but it's all the more reason to say, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna start having a meeting every you know Wednesday night. I'm not trying to start a cell church here, okay? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, this is just you know, if nothing else, I set the pace, right? I model these things that I'm wanting to see, right? I mean, I, I bring in a lot of other faith quotes, but you know, be the difference you want to see in the world, right? So, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, that's the thing. So if I I can set that having a prayer meeting, having a whatever, I mean, at least informally, that's some way for me to and others, I think to find a place of impact because I think there's a reason. I don't think people grow cold on the pew for no reason. I think there's a lot of elements and they certainly was where I came from, but somewhere built in there is impact. Do I even make an impact on this thing? Like if I was, you know, laying on the floor in the, in the foyer because I passed out and was, you know, would everybody just walk by or would somebody say, wait, that's brother Miller, right? I mean, (laughs) do I, have I made enough of an impact and does it, I, I mean, I think this is an important question. Some would not like this question, but that's okay. I think when we're sitting there in the room, you got to ask that question. Does it matter that I'm here? Yes. Does it matter that I'm in this building, this ward, this church? Does it really matter? Because I could be in plenty. I could have been in the Narragate Baptist Church when it was alive and well. I could be down at the, you know, the Glory House Charismatic Church. What a great name for a church to Glory House. <laughs> like, so I could be anywhere. But does it matter that I'm here? Not because I want everybody to cater to me. No, that's short-sighted to think that's what that's about. This is about going, wait a minute, do I make some kind of impact here? And Kurt, it's not enough to go, well, of course you make an impact through some mystical- You love your smile, Gary. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, come on. Really? Like, (laughs) I want to make an impact. Now, that's going to be different for everybody, gifts differing again, but that's what I think about. And I struggle with it, and I think I'm certainly not the only one. Oh, man. Preach it, brother. Like, this- this concept of of really ask you know do I have purpose here and I think going back to our larger discussion here of, of ministering to be an effective minister I truly believe you have to demand influence and again that doesn't mean that that when I move into my new ward that I'm going to make it clear to the stake president that I need to be the next bishop or I need his job or whatever now if that comes I'll be like great that just makes this my influence a lot easier to obtain and I'm ready to roll but to go into a ward and say, I'm just not going to be here. I'm going to have influence, dramatic influence in this ward. And if there's anything I learned from being a bishop, it is, I woke up one day and thought, you know, there's nothing I do that most people can't do. Like, yeah, there's a few technicality administrative things, but I shake people's hands at the back of the chapel. Anybody can do that. I'm not going to like run them off or kick them out if they're, you know, welcoming everybody into the chapel. And so it just helped me leave that calling and, and say, you know, wherever I go, I'm going to have just as much influence as I had as a bishop. 
And that doesn't mean I demand a calling or I need a calling to make myself feel good, but I need influence because that's, I'm a creation of Heavenly Father and that's what he's created me to do. And that brings him more glory when I have influence, you know? Ooh, yeah. I mean, and I think that's, that's, that's great. I think that's a problem though, also for somebody new coming in the team, because we don't feel like we have any influence here because you're like the rookie, right? Right. You know? And so if you feel like you don't have that influence or I would just put this forward and I'm not trying to open up other rabbit trails here, but (laughs) if somebody is not a convert like me, so, so first of all, you come in and you're, you still kind of feel like the outsider, no matter how many nice everybody has. And it's cool, but you don't feel like you have that influence yet. Also, if you're somebody that might be a little different, maybe you're different because your background's different. Maybe you look at the world a little bit differently. Maybe who you are is a little bit different. And so that person could also feel like, how can I have any influence? Because it seems like the only way to get influence is to be like everybody else. And I'm clearly not. Right. So that person could feel lost, right? And floating around in the vortex of loss. Then Now, if you want the ultimate recipe for trouble, well, I feel a little bit lost. So now I'm drifting away from the scripture. Now I'm drifting away from prayer. I spend more time reading blogs and Reddit and whatever else. <laughs> Come on, somebody. And yeah. then I go straight off the deep end. And not because I'm not a good person, not because I didn't have a sincere. No, you trace this all the way back. So I felt like I didn't have any influence. And that I love that you bring up influence. That, by the way, everybody listening, that was not in the script for today. That is something yeah. that people, if they don't feel like they have any influence, I think influence and impact kind of travel together, right? And so if I feel like I don't have any because I'm new or because I'm different or because I had a divorce or because fill in the blank of whatever it is, then that can start a cycle that is really concerning. And again, I would circle back and I know I bang on this key a lot on the piano, but I the worst thing, like the worst thing I can think of doing right there to that person that's feeling that way is, all right, hold on. Let me reference the checklist of what I'm supposed to say here. Mm-hmm. And let's go through this sort of procedural game and not connecting with people as to borrow a Kurtism at the heart level. And so I think that that's, uh, that's part of this. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Well, our time is short here, but uh, who yeah. says we have a certain time we need to hit? We but, don't, uh, <laughs> we don't. <laughs> let me ask about, You know, when I think of, I remember as a young missionary, I was in Sacramento and I uh, pulled over and I was just pumping gas into the car I was driving and two Baptist ministers cornered me. And here I am just like, hey guys, I'm just getting gas here. I'm I'm not like looking for some theological argument. Right. (laughs) And I remember one, I even have it still taped in my journal. He like gave me this, this, it was in Isaiah somewhere. I'd have to look it up what Isaiah scripture it was. And he was just like, and I remember clearly he said to me, God is calling you out of the Mormon church. You know, like, okay, man, I'm just getting gas again. I just want to move on with it. Anyways, I'm curious, like, like, cause there's some strong beliefs and doctrine in, in the Baptist church that they hammer on really hard, like coming over to our church. Like, you know, one of my pet topics that my, the audience is probably tired of me hitting on is this concept of grace, where I just feel like we haven't learned how to sit with grace in our, and we believe it to the fullest. To me, I would say we believe it as much as the Baptists or evangelicals, but there's something about our experience for some reason that we have a hard time sitting with it. And we default to behaviors, 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 you know, and it's in the slightest and most nuanced ways where every discussion then comes around to, yeah, but remember that checklist, we got to get that ministering done and man, make sure you're still engaged, right? What's your experience like, or was that a sticking point for you? I mean, because I feel like grace is a prominent, uh, I mean, it is the doctrine of of Jesus Christ. So what was your experience with some of those doctrines coming into the church? 
Goodness gracious. All right. So <laughs> I, I think, look, everybody should know this verse. If they don't, you need to go highlight it about 10 times in your Bible. But Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 will tell you that we're saved by grace through faith, um, lest any man should boast, right? So I understand what you're saying. Some of the things that hit me wrong when I first walked in and I would hear people say something in Sunday school that would make my, you know, you would have thought I was like having a seizure. Like I was like, what did they just say? And again, I think people are uncomfortable, not just here, anywhere. I think Paul touches this very strongly in the book of Romans. I think we want so badly to follow the law. We're bent toward the law. We're bent towards Mm -hmm. the checklist. We're bent towards works. But the reality is the salvation plan is built, built on the finished work of Jesus Christ, which is a work of grace. We talk about the atonement. One of the things I loved when I came over here is that the atonement is super wide. I mean, this thing touches, can touch anything, Mm -hmm. any situation, any person, anything. It's super wide, but we're bent to it. We want to say what it is that we do or what we don't do that's either keeping us in or got us in, right? That's, look, the Pharisees were making the case. Paul has to make the case against it in most of Romans. He's saying, look, it's not about that. You're saved by grace through faith. Do works matter? Of course they do. They're a reflection of genuine conversion. And -hmm. it happens over time. What did Paul say? The thing that I don't want to do, I do all the time. Thing I should do, I don't do enough of. Welcome to me. Welcome to you, right? So. This grace question, I think, listen, there are procedures. The Bible's full of some lists. There's no question about that. But our whole, look, when Jesus said it's finished in the scripture, friend, he meant it. Yeah. He meant it. He wasn't stuttering and he wasn't confused. He said, I've already taken care. I've sorted this whole thing out by the finished work of the cross. So as a result, when you and I step into that grace, it's not an allowance for us to go be crazy. Paul opens up the letter of the Galatians shouting them down, Kurt, saying, you guys have frustrated the grace of God, right? Because we just said, mm-hmm. oh, I'm under grace. I'll go be a crazy person now. No, that's not the allowance. But grace is this thing where we, we get our orientation set on the idea, what is the old hymn? Jesus paid it all. Oh, all to him I owe. Sin if left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. You were talking about Isaiah a minute ago. There you go. So mm-hmm. it is something that I think we need to get a hold of because when you're operating in grace, now it's everything is on what Jesus did, not what on I do. You know, I mean, what am I going to do that's going to top the fundamental grace of God? Nothing. But that grace of God allows me to start working and becoming more like Jesus, right? Jesus told us, he said, look, you're going to do greater works than these ones that I've been doing. Talk about signs, wonders, and miracles. Mormon 911, I am the God of miracles. But but this is something where grace is a thing where you and I have to fundamentally stop. We, I think we get way too prideful. In my, where I came from, Kurt, to keep it so that we don't, I don't rub everybody wrong by saying what I'm saying about grace. Where I came <laughs> from, they were, they were so interested in all the things that they didn't do. We don't watch TV. We don't, you know, we don't watch R-rated movies. We don't do this. We don't do this. We don't do this. We don't do this. And very proud of that list. Good list. I mean, look, there's some good lists in there. Come out from among them, be you separate, touch not the unclean thing. I'm with it, down with worldliness. Cool. But our foundation and our peace is in Jesus. Jesus already paid it all. So we can step and operate through that grace. And when we do, here's the secret. Then we'll start extending that grace to other people. Hmm. See, when we're doing the checklist thing, we tend to take the checklist to everybody else. And when they don't fit our checklist, we want to shout them down, rebuke them, 
tell them that they're not as good as we are and, and people feel isolated and, and it just is a hot mess. But when we're understanding grace and we've really, and it's all over your New Testament, friends, and it's all over your Book of Mormon, you got to tear a lot of pages out, a lot of pages out for you to think that it's anything else. So as a result, then we start extending that grace to our spouse and extending grace to our kids and to our friends and to our coworkers. What's the grace? Grace, the unmerited favor, right? I didn't do anything to, to earn it. It's a gift of God. What? Romans, lest any man should boast, right? So, or, or Ephesians. So the point is, I struggled with this, but the issue is either Jesus paid it all or he didn't. And I think that's what we come to with grace. Yeah. And okay, I, I really, yeah, no, it does. And, and I think it comes when you start mixing that message with, into leadership. I mean, because a lot of the pushback I get from leaders is like, okay, Kurt, I get it. Like we all want to feel loved and we want a beautiful experience at church, but I, I we got to get some stuff done, you know? And so how do you lead and, or preach with, from the standpoint of grace and get people to leave there who, that now they want to minister more and now they want to, you know, they want to serve more. They want to do the temple work. They want to do these things. Cause I feel like that's where leaders are so afraid of completely embracing the grace message in every single meeting is they think, well, what if I do that? And sure, we'll feel good, but nobody does anything because of it. Well, I'm all about go and do, but I think people can be empowered to go and do when they understand what Jesus already did. You with me? So, I mean, Amen, I, I, think, yeah. I think it's that simple. I could preach your head off for the next hour on grace, but I mean, I, I think if people understand what Jesus already did and why he did it, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's you, that's me. There was a penalty for that. He paid the penalty so we wouldn't have to, right? So as a result, if we understand what Jesus already did, then we will want to go and do the things we're called to do, the things that the scripture tells us to do, because we've got the model already. I know who I'm following. Jesus said, go forth and preach the gospel to every creature. I'm not sure if I should invite them to church. Mark 16, 15 says you should. You don't mm. need, It's already done. Well, I'm not sure that I should be praying for healing. Sorry, that's already covered too. You should do that by his stripes. We are here. Mm -hmm. All these things, we already have them. I think that if we really understood what Jesus already did, then we'll know what to go do. And if we will teach, how do, we, how do you preach grace and get people to go and do stuff? Preach the word. Now, I feel that I thanks for that delay in the internet because now I've got a better answer. Here it is. <laughs> if you preach what Jesus did, people will know what to go and do. If you preach the book of Acts, they're going to know what to go and do. Not get up and, and quote 3,000 quotes from somebody else that already quoted it. Don't get nervous. I'm not trying to be offensive here. I'm just trying to tell you. Yeah. Preach the book. If you're getting up to give a talk, preach the gospel. Preach what has happened. What did he do in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? What was the early church doing in the book of Acts? If you want people to know what they need to do, go read Acts. Go do it. Praying, soul winning, healing, miracles, praising, worship, visiting, gathering, going, doing. I mean, that it's all over Acts. So if we want them to know what to do through the grace message, Use God's grace to have enough courage to get up and just preach the book. It's just right there. That's all that it is. I mean, I challenged my podcast listeners a while ago. I said, for the rest of the year, just read the Gospels over and over and over again until you just can't do it and just start over again. Not because I don't think everything else is unimportant. I just want you, I think we're, we spend all this time talking about Jesus and about church stuff, but we don't get intimately connected with, wait, this is what he actually did. Like, what was he doing? You know, he was reaching the fringe. He was reaching the marginalized. Are we doing that? 
are we shouting the marginalized down or are we actually reaching them? Because that's mm-hmm. what he was doing. The person you and I wouldn't talk to, Jesus was going and talking to them. The person you and I wouldn't have come within a million miles of, he was going and talking to them. You know, someone was sick, he was healing. Well, everybody like me and you should have some oil on us. If somebody's sick, lay hands on and pray for them. Come on. I mean, th- this is in there. So when people preach the book, that grace message gets into doing. Because Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. So you'll know them by their doing, but they'll do it because of grace. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Gary, where where would you send people, obviously, for your podcast? I mean, I, I've enjoyed listening to it. And uh, yeah. and and a lot of them are just brief, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And yep. we uh, you, keep get, it short. you get a strong message. So uh, where would you send people to connect with you and, and listen to more of your, your stuff? I would send them to narrowgatepodcast.com. All one big word, narrowgatepodcast.com. All of our episodes are there. You can use as many or as little as you like. They are generally pretty short and lots of Bible, lots of Book of Mormon. Now we're fired up over there. Like, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get preached at. We're going to get fired up. We're going to celebrate Jesus and miracles and what he's doing. And I know that if people hang around there long enough, they'll get in their scripture and, and they'll get excited about what they find. Well, I praise God that you have that venue, that avenue to uh, share your light because man, please don't ever put those skills away in the restored gospel. I mean, this is God's kingdom and and we need that piece of you to all grow and learn. So I'm glad that you have that podcast stream to to speak to. So Gary, the last question I have is uh, reflecting on your time as a leader, both in the Baptist church and now as a Latter-day Saint, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? What a question. Do you ask that at the end of every one of your episodes? Yeah, that, that's my thing. That's, that's sort your, of our that's your, question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a John Lee Dumas thing at the end. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'm sure you know, John. Um, oh, yeah. Anyway, so ask me that again. I want to make sure that I understood it. So reflecting on your experience as a leader, both in the Baptist church and now as a Latter-day Saint, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Yeah. So I think that part of leadership is setting the example, setting the pace, and setting an example. And so in doing that, I have to know more about who Jesus is, not just who he was on the pages of the scripture, but who he is in my life now. And it forces me by way, not forcing in a bad way, but it it really drives me to find a way to get as close to him as I can so that I can be more like him whenever I'm leading, whether I'm leading myself, because it starts there, or leading my family, or leading a podcast audience, or or leading whatever. So a team at work, it, it all applies. But it really helps me to be in a leadership position, I think immediately drives me to a place of humility. and goes, man, I do not know it all, and I better get close to the one who does. And so that helps me follow after the Savior and follow after what He's given me so that I can be better for somebody else. That concludes my interview with Gary Miller. Definitely check out his podcast. Just search The Narrow Gate Podcast and uh, you'll find it there in whatever podcasting app you listen to. Just it's so uplifting and the perspectives he shares, the scriptures he connects them, his messages to are, it's great. Definitely one to have on your on your feed and, and listen to regularly. And I hope you appreciate just sort of the, the rawness of this, of this conversation. You know, it's one of those where after the conversation, I sort of, you know, a, a day had passed where I'm thinking like, was that like too, too intense what we were talking about? But, but it's, we're just trying to talk about the realities of, of some of these situations. I mean, this concept of influence and desiring influence and, and being okay with that influence and, and or being okay with that desire to influence because 
As many of you know who followed the uh, newsletter, the Leading Saints newsletter, we've been doing this series of of simple messages or articles all around the, the concept of aspiring. And what does it mean to aspire? And why does it have such a negative connotation in our faith community as opposed to others where, you know, like Gary's experience, he wanted to become a, a preacher and he was sort of applauded for that and, and encouraged. And where in our faith community, that's sort of discouraged. And I get there's some technicalities and differences, you know, as far as how inspiration for these callings comes and, and whatnot. But I think it's worth wrestling with as far as just so we don't disenfranchise people who really want to make a difference because we're literally building the kingdom of God. Like, why wouldn't people want to be involved in that? And and, and if they do, like, they should never be shamed or discouraged or for be, wanting to lead in that, that dynamic, right? And so, anyways, I really hope wherever you're at, whatever calling you have, you have a sense or a desire for influence in your life, in your ward, in your faith community, that your presence... That, that you want to have purpose in being there and participating and contributing and seeing a difference because of your work. I mean, we are children of God and he has created us. He has instilled in us talents and abilities so that we could bring glory to him because we are his creations. And there's great work that can be done as we shift that mindset of saying, you know what? I don't need to be the bishop. I don't need to be the Relief Society. If I am great, but I will have influence here for good. And where where can I go? Where point me in the right direction, Lord, and I'll and I'll do it. I think it's such a remarkable discussion and concept to uh, to think about. So again, definitely uh, subscribe to the Narrow Gate podcast. Listen to Gary Moore. You can tell that he is such a, a vibrant voice to listen to, and uh, you'll definitely appreciate that. If there's anybody else you think. I should reach out to an interview. Please go to leadingsaints.org slash contact. We have a lot of names that come in, but uh, that doesn't mean we should slow down the names that are coming in. Please let us know if there's individuals we should reach out to. That's how I got connected with Gary Miller, and uh, I'm so glad I did. My life has been blessed, and I hope your life has been blessed as well. And I remind you once again to text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to subscribe to the Leading Saints weekly newsletter. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability. 